السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد کریم اما بعد فاعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسر لی امری وحل العقدتم لسانی یبقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما باب الغضب فی الموعظت والتعلیم اذا رأى ما یکرہو On expressing anger in admonition and instruction when one sees something that he dislikes. Meaning if the teacher is instructing and he sees something that is disliked, he may reprimand the students. He may show a little bit of anger. And we discussed earlier that why it's necessary to show anger sometimes. And that when a person does show anger, there should definitely be a balance. Meaning... A person should not be strict all the time, nor should he be lenient all the time, nor should he be ignoring the errors of the students all the time. No, there must be a balance. Because too much of anything is bad. حدثنا محمد بن كثير قال أخبرنا سفيان عن ابن أبي خالد عن قيس ابن أبي حازم عن أبي مسعود الأنصاري قال قال رجل He said that a man said يا رسول الله O Messenger of Allah لا أكادو لا not akadu i almost udriku salata i complete the salah meaning i almost could not complete the salah i almost broke it i almost got out of it mimma due to what yutawilu he was making long bina with us fulanun so and so meaning when so and so such and such person was leading us in prayer he prayed for so long that i could not stand in prayer فَمَا رَأَيْتُ So I have not seen النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ The Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فِي إِنْ مَوْعِضَةٍ In admonition أَشَدَّ غَضَبًا أَشَدَّ More severe غَضَبًا In anger مِنْ ذَانْ يَوْمِ إِذِنْ That day Who is saying this? The narrator Abu Mas'ud Al-Ansari He is saying that a man came and he said this, he complained to the Prophet ﷺ about the long salah that the person, that one of them had led. And and Abu Mas'ud, he is saying that I have not seen the Prophet ﷺ more upset min yawmi idhin than that day. Meaning I saw him the most upset at that occasion, at that instant. فَقَالَ So he said, أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ O people, إِنَّكُمْ indeed you munafirun. Munafirun, this is from Nufur, meaning ones who avert. You are ones who are averting people, chasing them away. How? By leading them in salah for so long. فَمَنْ صَلَّى بِالنَّاسِ So whoever prays with people, فَلْيُخَفِّفْ Then he should lighten. Meaning then he should lighten the salah. He should not pray very long salah, but he should make it short. فَإِنَّ فِيهِمْ Because indeed amongst them are al-marid, the sick, wal-da'if, and the weak, wal-hajah, and those who are in need. Dhul-hajah meaning possessor of need, the one who has to fulfill some need. So we see over here that the Prophet ﷺ became very upset to the point that some of the people thought that he was the most upset at this occasion. They had not seen him angry at any other point except for this, meaning he was the most angry at this instance. And why was he upset? Because the people, some of them, when they led others in salah, they prayed very long qiyam. To the point that other people found it unbearable to stand in salah. So he became very upset at this. Why? Because with such behavior, people were being averted from the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When leading salah, a person must be very, very careful. 
that you should not pray such long qiyam or such long rukur or such long sujood that people are unable to pray along with him. Even if it is taraweeh salah, the qiyam should be not so long that people don't want to pray anymore. They think about breaking the salah. In taraweeh salah also, a person is leading who? Other people in prayer, amongst them are old, amongst them are women, amongst them are even children. Amongst them are people who don't understand a word of what you are reciting. So if you pray qiyam that is 45 minutes long, one rakah, how difficult it would be for people. How difficult it would be. And I have seen many times, children, what they will do is, that as soon as you know 10 minutes or 15 minutes are over, then they will join in the salah. Why? Because they don't want to pray that long. So this is like averting people from the way of Allah, putting them in fitna. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ became extremely upset. That if you want to pray yourself, pray as long as you want to. But when you're praying with other people, then you have to take care of them. You cannot ignore their needs. You cannot ignore their weakness. They're weak. They're old. They're hungry. They've been fasting all day. The night is very short. They have to go to work tomorrow. So when you're leading them in salah, make sure that it is moderate. A balance is required. And balance makes everything beautiful. And from this principle, we can also see that whenever a person is doing anything, like for example, giving a khutbah, a lecture, a talk, anything, it should not be so long that people get frustrated. There must be gaps in the middle. So for example, people, you know, they're made to listen to the recitation or they're made to share reflections with one another or there's a break in the middle. Why? Because if it's too long and if it's the same thing going on continuously, then people get bored. They lose interest. So it's necessary that a person keeps changing the style every now and then. Like for example, in salah, what happens? You're standing in qiyam and then you go for rukur, isn't it? And then you stand up. As you change your position, you change what you're doing, your mind becomes fresh. You don't get bored. So, for example, in a class even, it should not be that long that people get bored. In the middle, there should always be something different. Like for example, in our class, if I was talking the whole time, it would be very difficult. This is why reflections, discussion, recitation, this is necessary. So that the mind is active throughout the session. And we see over here that the Prophet ﷺ, he would recite long surahs in salah, but it was not his habit. It was not his habit. Like for example, we do find some ahadith in which we learn that in Salatul Maghrib, for example, the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Al-Tur. He did recite Surah Al-Tur, but he did not recite it every single Maghrib Salah. This was not his regular habit. He did it, but once in a while. So similarly, we should also do the same. But once in a while, if it's long, it's different. But on a regular basis, we should keep such things short. Otherwise, it gets too difficult for people to take. It's not long for you, but it is long for other people. That's the point. Because when it comes to other people, they may have a need, they may be tired, they may be sick. So you have to take care of them as well. Yeah, of course, it does make it a bit long. Like, for example, in Taraweeh Salah, it does, the Qiyam does become a bit long. But you can pace it out, right? Like, make it 15 minutes maximum instead of doing 45 minutes. I have stood in some Taraweeh Salah where the Qiyam is almost 45 minutes to an hour. And yes, I enjoyed it thoroughly. But when I went to Rukur, I felt as though I couldn't move. There were other people as well who found it very difficult to pray. So this balance, this hikmah is necessary. 
that the best way is the sunnah. And we see that in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed long qiyam and he also prayed short. But when he led other people, it was generally short. And when he advised them to lead others, he also recommended them to read which kind of surahs? Ashams, Al-Layl. If a child would be crying, then the Prophet ﷺ would shorten the salah. So always be aware of the people whom you are addressing, the people whom you are leading. You cannot disregard their weaknesses, their illness, or their whatever it is. We have to take them along. Remember, we discussed this earlier as well, that when a person is teaching others, then again, he has to look at their background, he has to teach them according to their state, give them what they need. Not what you desire to teach necessarily, but what they need. Because if you disregard their need, then it's going to become very difficult on them. But studies and things... But they weren't very good teachers. And so we would sometimes, may Allah forgive us, avoid those professors who weren't teaching properly. And I was thinking now how much khair we must have deprived ourselves of and how much khair other students could have gotten from those professors if only they had come down a little bit to teach at the level of their students. It's very important to do that. Let me give you an example. This weekend course, right? We have a class for an hour, 45 minutes, that's your class. And... The students are of different levels. They're girls as young as 13, 14 maybe, and even younger perhaps. This woman came and she told me that sometimes you might find me dozing off in class. It's not because I don't enjoy the class. It's because I work all night and I get home at 7.30 in the morning and then I have to get here by 10 o'clock. If you want, I will not come on Saturdays. If it bothers you, I said, no, please come and make sure you go and rest at home. So there are people of different, different backgrounds. So the class has to be lighter. There has to be less word analysis. There have to be less references. Why? Because if it's too heavy, if it's too academic style, everybody cannot absorb it. People are of different, different backgrounds. But when it comes to, for example, this class that you all are sitting in, you were coming five days a week. People were mostly, you know, they had completed their high school. A lot of people were from university or had completed university. So your level is slightly higher on average. So this is why the style was more academic. So you have to take the people along with you. If you say that, no, 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 I like to do this, so I'm going to give them everything, they won't be able to take it. They won't be able to absorb it. So this hikmah is what we learn from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So anyway, we see over here that at this occasion, the Prophet ﷺ was very upset and he admonished the Sahaba. And some of them got afraid that, you know, that they thought he was the most upset at this occasion. Let's continue. حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا أبو عامر قال حدثنا سليمان بن بلال المديني عن ربيعة بن أبي عبد الرحمن عن يزيد مولا منبعثي عن زيد بن خالد الجهني أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم سأله رجل the Prophet ﷺ, a man asked him, about al-luqata. What is al-luqata? Do you know? What's the root? Lam, qaf, ta. Any word that we have read from the same root in the Quran? Huh? The people of Fir'aun, they picked him up. Similarly, in the story of Yusuf ﷺ, we learned that فَلْيَلْتَقِطْهُ بَعْضُ السَّيَّارَةِ So, لَقَطَ is something that has been, you know, dropped or lost by the owner. Okay, some property that has been dropped or lost by the owner. So he doesn't know where it is. So you can say it's like lost and found objects. 
So a man asked the Prophet ﷺ about luqatah, about a lost article, that if he finds it, what is he supposed to do with it? So you're walking on the street and you find $10, or you find a pencil on a desk, and you're wondering, can I use it because I can't find my pencil? You don't know whose it is. So he asked the Prophet ﷺ, so he said, I'rif, recognize, know well, wika'aha, its vessel, its container. Awqala, or he said, wira'aha, its wira container. Meaning, the wallet or the purse that the money is in, recognize it. Okay, the container, the wallet, the purse that the money is in, that the object is in, recognize it, meaning know it very well. Wa'ifasaha and its thread. So know the the wallet, the purse, and its thread. Summa then arifha make it known for how long? Sanatan, an entire year. Meaning announce it for an entire year. Summa then istamtir biha, then use it. Meaning once the year is over, then you can use it. Fa'inja'a, then if he comes, who comes? Rabbuha. Its master, its owner. Rabb over here means master or owner. فَأَدِّهَا Then return it, hand it over, إِلَيْهِ to him. If the master comes along after a year even, then what should you do? Give it to him. قَالَ He said, being the man said, فَسُوْ ضَالَّةُ الْإِبِلِ ضَالَّةُ ضَالَّةُ لَامْ لَامْ One that is lost. So lost or stray camels. So camels that have been lost by their owners. What about them? So can we take them? Can we keep them? The Prophet ﷺ became upset. فَغَضِبَ So he became angry. حَتَّى until إِحْمَرَّتْ It became red. وَجْنَتَاهُ His two cheeks. وَجْنَ His cheek. وَجْنَتَاهُ His two cheeks. He became upset to the point that his cheeks, both cheeks became red. أَوْ قَالَ Or he said إِحْمَرَّ وَجْهُهُ Or his entire face became red. فَقَالَ So he said, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, وَمَا لَكَ and what is with you? Wamalaka. And what is with you? Walaha and for it, meaning the camel it has, Maraha with it, Sikauha, its water, Wahidauha, its feet. What does it mean by this? That the camel has its water and its feet. It has enough for survival. But why has this description been given? It has its water and its feet. The camel, when it drinks water, it drinks a lot. And then he stores all that water in its body for a very long time. And because of that, the camel can survive in the desert even without drinking for many days. So even if a camel is lost for a week, two weeks, it can survive. It has its storage of water. And it has its feet, meaning if the master left it somewhere, it can walk from there okay, and find food. And with the feet, taridu, it will pass by alma, the water. If it needs more water, perhaps he will pass by an oasis and find more water there. Watara, and it will graze on a shajar, the trees. So in other words, the camel can survive on his own. You don't need to take it. Fadarha, so leave it. So leave it. Hatta until yalqaha, he meets it. Rabbuha, its master. So leave it until the master, until the owner will find it. Qala, the man said, Fadallatul ghanam. So what about the lost sheep? Qala, he said, Laka, they are for you. Aw or li'akhika, for your brother, meaning if somebody else finds them. Aw or li'dhib, for the sheep. You can take it. If you don't take it, somebody else will take it. Or the sheep will eat them. 
or the wolves will eat them. So, in other words, the Prophet ﷺ gave him permission to take what? Lost sheep. In this hadith, we see the reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this hadith in this chapter heading is to show that the Prophet ﷺ became upset when a particular question was asked. Because this question, when the man asked, what about lost camel? It kind of showed a little bit of greed on the part of that man. That as though he was looking for the lost property of others. And if he could find only the best property that people have lost, and if he could take it. So the Prophet ﷺ showed his anger over there. So it shows that a person may show anger when questions are being asked that are you know, not that beneficial, but rather a person is looking for like loopholes or looking for ways through which he can get by. Would you like to know about luqata, about what to do with such things? That if you find a pen or a pencil or somebody forgets their stuff in their house, in your house, when they came to your house for a party and you don't know who it belongs to and nobody has claimed it and it's been sitting there for a year, what are you supposed to do with it? If you give it, you wonder, it's the amana. If you use it, you wonder you can't use it. So what are you supposed to do with it? Especially the money on the street. I think especially coming to Al-Huda. Just yesterday, I saw Sister Perween, she was um, clearing up her desk. In her drawers, she found small bottles of itar and eyeliners and mascaras and lipsticks and Allahu Alam what all, and pens and pencils and highlighters, so many things. And she just put them up on the table and she said, whoever wants it, take it. Garage sale, take it. Because so much stuff had piled up over there. And all of that was what? Stray objects that don't belong to anybody. So what are you supposed to do with these things? When it comes to luqata, remember that the property of a Muslim is sacred, it has to be protected, and the property of another Muslim, we can't just do whatever we want to with it. Remember that at the time of Hajjat al-Wadar, the Prophet ﷺ advised the Muslims, and he said that your lives, your honor, and your properties right, are as sacred as this day, as this place. So the property of another Muslim is sacred. And therefore we have to know what we are to do with it if we find it without its owner. How are we to deal with it? Can we use it? Can we give it away? What are we supposed to do with it? Properties or belongings, there are of different types, depending on their value, depending on their life, how long they can survive. So therefore, the rulings with regards to them are also different. The first type of belongings, the first type of properties are such that which most people would not attach much value to, meaning they're not that valuable. For example, a piece of paper, a paper clip. Somebody came into your office, they were working, and they forgot their paper clips over there, and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do with this paper clip? Similarly, a pencil, a highlighter, a muffin, okay, a piece of bread, a few grapes, a few blueberries, okay, a safety pin, little, little things which are not that valuable, and people don't pay much you know, attention to them. They don't attach much value to them. You can say like these things are ma'oon. In these cases, the person who finds such things, he may keep them. He may even use them. And he does not even need to announce whose paper clip is this? Whose post-it is this? Whose muffin is this? Whose, you know, whatever, pencil is this? You can't go on announcing such little, little things. Why? Because A, there's so many Alright, if you start announcing, okay, I found these two yellow pencils, which one is yours? Person's like, I don't know which one's mine. I don't even remember which my, if my pencil was yellow or orange. I just know that I had a pencil which I left over here. So, there's so many, 
and they're not that valuable and people lose these things all the time isn't it people lose these things all the time so if you have to keep them for a year and you have to keep announcing whose paper clip is this then your life is going to become extremely difficult so when you find them you may use them you may do whatever you want to with them you don't have to announce and you don't have to you know ignore it you can use it if needed and what's the evidence of that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said Jabir anhu he said that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam made exceptions in the case of a stick or a whip or a rope that a man picks up so a stick a whip a rope these things are what small okay not that valuable so he made an exception with regard to them so if you find such things on the street you may pick them up no big deal okay and this hadith is in abu dawud the second type of things the second type of properties or belongings which people may lose not generally but are for example animals that are huge that are unlikely to be harmed by you know predators why because of their size like for example a camel a camel if it is attacked by another animal it can easily kick it and the other predator is gone honestly they can do it very easily and even camels they they bite you know that they bite and they kick they can defend themselves really well similarly a mule a horse it can defend itself likewise animals that can fly and if they're attacked they can protect themselves for example a bird an eagle or for example an animal that can move very swiftly like for example a deer or for example an animal that can defend itself with its fangs for example a lion or a leopard now you know that for example so and so person this is his dog and you know that the dog is out on the street do you have to go and take it and announce it for a year or you know that in this country if there's a dog out there in the street you know that it's somebody's right so you're not going to go on announcing you can leave it you can leave it it can defend itself it can protect itself or you can simply call those uh, people who come in you know take these animals so you can call them okay and they can come and pick up those animals and and take care of them whatever needs to be done so such things you don't have to take them and in fact you're not allowed to take them you're not allowed to take them It is some scholars have said that it is haram. You don't take them, you don't keep them for a year, you don't announce them, you leave them on their own. Why? Because such things generally they're not lost by the owners generally. And if the owner ever loses such things, you know what's going to happen? He's going to come back to where he lost it. He's going to come back to it. Like for example, somebody rents out a facility to have their party. They brought in their furniture. Okay, they brought in some chairs. they brought in some of their dishes and when they left they forgot let's say a table when they get home aren't they going to realize they forgot their table then what are they going to do they're going to go back now if you happen to be there you say oh somebody forgot their table let me just take it home no you can't do that whoever it is they will come back for it and if you leave the table inside nothing's going to happen to it it's not going to rot it's not going to you know get decayed nothing's going to happen to it and besides the owner will realize very soon and he will come back to find it so such things we're not allowed to pick them up and this is why when the man asked about the camel the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam got upset he said what has that got to do with you it has its water it has its feet it can survive on its own leave it and the master will find it so such things we're not to take them umar radhiyallahu anhu he said whoever takes a lost animal is misguided Okay, whoever takes a lost animal, such a person is misguided. Meaning he's doing something that is sinful. And more examples of this could be, you know, 
anything that can be left on its own and it will not get damaged. Like for example, I gave you furniture. Likewise, big serving dishes. Okay. Big decoration items, curtains, you know, big things that people don't generally lose and they don't forget. And if you leave them, nothing's going to happen to them. The third type of belongings which people could lose are things that are valuable and things that have to be protected. If you leave them, they will get damaged. If you leave them, they may get, you know, somebody might pick them up and, and keep it with themselves. Okay, without even letting the owner know or without even making the announcement. So what are the two characteristics? First of all, they are valuable. And secondly, they are, they have to be protected. They may get damaged. Can you think of some examples? Okay, jewelry. You go to the washrooms and you find somebody's ring over there or somebody's watch over there. A wallet, a cell phone, glasses, good. A watch, a bag. Okay, somebody's luggage, somebody's backpack. Okay, like cards, for example, like a bank card. Okay, books or notes, laptop, keys, car keys, okay, iPod, money even. It has to be protected, isn't it? If you leave it and if it rains or the wind blows, that's it, the money's gone. Okay, and if the owner comes back thinking, I think I dropped something over here, he's not going to find it then. Similarly, food. Food is also a part of this. Because if you leave the food, what's going to happen? It's going to expire, it's going to get spoiled. You're not going to say, oh, nobody's claiming this piece of pizza. It's sitting over here. It's been sitting here since morning. Nobody's come to get it. So we're going to leave it here. No, everybody's gone. The school is almost empty. So what are you going to do? Leave it there until the next day? Then it's going to go in the garbage. So such things, if you think that you can take care of them, and you think that you can make the announcement, you can make it known that this thing has been lost, then you pick it up. What are the two conditions? What are the two conditions? You know that you can take care of it. And secondly, you can somehow get it to the owner. You don't know who the owner is, but you know that you have the opportunity to make the announcement so that the owner may find it. But if, for example, you're traveling and you stop by a masjid and you see something over there, don't pick it up. Why? Because you're traveling. If you go to another city, your making announcement over there is irrelevant. In such a situation, what you can do is pick it up and give it to who? The administration. So such things, you pick them up if you fulfill these two conditions. And then you may do whatever you want to with these things. Scholars have further divided this into three categories. The first type of such things are, for example, animals that are eaten. For example, sheep or chickens. So such animals, a person, he can do whatever is in the best interest of the owner. So for example, if he eats it, okay. If he sells it, okay. If he keeps it, okay. As long as the owner will benefit eventually. Because if you leave the sheep like that, what's going to happen? The owner has lost completely. But if you keep the sheep, and let's say you slaughter and you eat it, and eventually if the owner comes to you and you give him the money, okay, the owner has something. So you have to do whatever you want to as long as it is in the best interest of the owner. So for example, animals... They're eaten, you can eat it. Or for example, you can even sell it. You can even sell it. And you may even keep it. Food, you may eat it. You may freeze it. You may give it away. You may give it in charity. Similarly, a dollar that you find, it's not of much value, but still it is valuable. So you can use it. You can spend it. You can put it in the sadaqah box. You can save it. Whatever you want to with it. But 
But what do you have to do? This you can only do after an entire year. Okay, all of this you can do when? After when? After an entire year. For those things that can be saved. Food, if you keep it for an entire year, what's going to happen? It's going to rot. Okay, so you eat it, but remember the hadith, what does it say? اِعْرِفْ وِكَاءَهَا No, recognize its details. Know it very well. So that if after a year even, if a person comes and claims, oh, that was my watermelon, or that was my wallet, or that was my money, or that was my stuff, then what are you going to do with it? You can give them the value if you've used it. So some of these things, you have to use them immediately, or you can sell them, or you can even store them for an entire year. But after the year, if the owner comes and claims it, then what are you supposed to do with it? Give him that thing back or give him its price back, its value back. So for example, somebody came to your house, some people came over for a party, for a dinner, and somebody forgot their jacket. It's an expensive jacket. You sent an email to all of your friends, whose jacket is this? Please come and take it. No answer. You made an announcement. You wait for an entire year. And then what happens? It's sitting there in your closet. What are you going to do with it? You can use it. You can give it away. You can sell it. You can do whatever you want to with it. But let's say after two years, one of your friends comes back to your house and with her comes her cousin. And she says, you know, I came to your house last time, two years ago, and I forgot my jacket. Do you still have it? And you're like, no, I don't have it. She's like, I want it. So you give her its price. If you still have it, then you can give it to her. Because these things are of different types, right? Some things you have to consume them immediately. Some things are a burden if they're lying around. So know its value, recognize what it is, what its value is, so that if you have to hand it over, then you can give the equal value. There was this lady I went to, um, she stitches clothes and she was saying, you know, people come over to me and they give me clothes to, to stitch and some of them, they leave their clothes with me for years and years and I don't know what to do with them. What am I supposed to do with them? I said, I don't know. But now I know the answer. What do you think the answer is? Hmm? Keep it for a year and then do whatever you want. Assalamualaikum. Yes. My question is that some stuff was left with me as an amana. It's uh, pots and pans and some Alhuda books. So um, I tried to, because they were in a hurry to leave, so they left. And I said, okay, fine, I'll give it to them. So it's a twofold thing for me. It was Amana. It, this was like four years ago. And I tried to get in touch with the owner the best I could. And there's either they have moved or there's no response or I've been calling to, and I haven't been able to get in touch with them. Those pots and pans and books are still with me. So... If four years have gone, so I think what I am, I'm learning from here is that I can give them in sadaka or... These rulings are with regards to objects that are lost, okay? Meaning you don't know who the owner is. You just okay. found it like that. I'll find out if the rulings of such amanat are similar. Yeah. I'll find out, inshallah. Okay, exactly. Assalamualaikum. I had a question about um, losing your shoes mm-hmm. because a lot, this happens a lot where you lose your shoes and then you see another pair that's like the same size and similar design and it's left for you. So 
What do you do? Do you, are you supposed to wear it or you just go barefoot? Like, what are you supposed to do in that case? Because it's very common. Yeah. Happens a lot. The thing is, if you use them once, it's no big deal because the other person also used your shoes and eventually they'll realize, they might realize that they took somebody else's shoes. So if you wear them once to your house, it's okay and you can bring them back the next day and leave them in the lost and found. And after one year, the management can decide whatever they want to do with those shoes. Okay. The money that you find on the street, with regards to such things, remember I told you that you pick things up when you know that you can protect it and when you can know that you can somehow get it back to the owner. So for example, if you find something in Al-Huda or in the parking lot, you know that it's, it belongs to somebody who is at Al-Huda. Okay? But if you find it in the supermarket or like that, leave it. Leave it. Why? The owner will come back for it. If he doesn't come back for it, it's not, you know, you're not held responsible for it. And if it's, for example, a big amount, then what do you do with it? Pick it up and give it to who? The management. The closest store or whoever is responsible of that area, you give it to them. So that whoever has lost it, they will come and claim it from them. Whole envelope full of money, cash. So I went to the customer service and I told them, this is what I found right here. And I'm sure the lady will find out that she, whoever was it, that she lost it. And I made sure I took that cashier's number, phone number, and then I called the manager too. I didn't want it to be just the cashier. I wanted yeah. the manager to be there too. The next day I phoned them and I asked them, did anybody come for it? Because I was going to make sure that it got to the owner. And the manager said, yes, there was a lady who came and picked up the money. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So you picked it up. It was a big amount. And you knew that you could somehow get it back to the owner. So, In the shop, right? So, yeah. so this is why you picked it up. But if a person knows that he cannot get it back to the owner in any way, then you're not supposed to pick it up. You're not allowed to touch it. The owner will come back for it. He will find it. In the masjid, can it be announced? No. In the masjid, no. It cannot be announced. We know that if a person makes an announcement for a lost object in the masjid, the Prophet ﷺ told that, make dua that may you never find it. So in the masjid, the announcement is not supposed to be made. In in the hadith, what do we see? That the Prophet ﷺ said a limit to the time limit, okay? but he did not specify a way of the announcement. Why? Because every place, every situation is different. And the announcement is going to be made accordingly. Sometimes it's going to be made over email. Sometimes it's going to be made over, uh, you know, a microphone. Sometimes by, you know, a flyer. Whatever is appropriate, it must be done. Sometimes you can get the object to the lost and found department. And from there, you know, the owner can come and claim it. That we have to follow the rules of the place that we're at. The announcement also has to be made properly. I mean, a person should not say, did anybody lose $200? Because everybody's going to come and claim. Just recently, somebody was telling me about how they found dollar in the masjid, and they asked, whose dollar is it? And all the kids were like, mine, mine, mine. <laughs> and he said, you know what? I'm just going to put it in the sadqa box. So they put it in the sadqa box, and they said, Who, whosoever it is, you know, come and claim it from me. So you can do something like that. Then whoever it is, they will come and claim it from you. Inshallah, you can give them a dollar. But if you know that you cannot afford to give them this much money, leave it. Don't touch it. Okay? I mean, it's the prayer area. Because these days, masajid are not just prayer areas, but they're also community centers. People just, they, even they're not using, they keep on taking, and the next day they are putting that fresh ones. So, yeah, this uh, like comes in what? You know what? It's covered by the cost of your, you know, the stay there, so it's no big deal. And many times they'll give it to you for free. A lost child? Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you go in big gatherings and there is no place for lost and found or anything. Of course. And sometimes it could be, for example, at a masjid, it could be at a mall, it could be at a conference, 
right? So if you see a child who is alone, who is crying, who is lost, don't leave the child on his own. Please, please take him. Keep him with you. Take him to where the announcement can be made. Ask him if he knows the number. Call the police, whoever. Whatever can be done. But do something. Don't leave the child just like that. Sorry, so like, there was a situation that happened with me like that. Uh, I think it was like about eight years ago. I was at the park with my, he was two years old at the time. And um, it was a big green grassy area. And this child who was running across, who was the same age as my son, and he was running towards a main street. So I was looking around just seeing where's a parent, where's a parent, there's nobody around, and this child kept running towards basically a main street. So I went and took the child basically and was looking around for a mother. I walked back and forth with the child trying to see if there's a mother. Eventually went home and I called the police to get them, but the mother was going crazy. She was in the same neighborhood and she was just running up and down crying. But obviously, like I was thinking, if I, I could have just left that child because I was like, you know, his mom will come, she'll find him. But I was concerned, especially that he was running towards him main street. So if you look at the hadith, there are three types of things, right? First, the example is what? Of money. Such things you keep for how long? A year? Know its details, keep it for a year, and then use it. Or do whatever you want to with it. But if the owner comes, then you have to give it back to him. Second type of things are such which, you know, you can leave them. Nothing's going to happen to them. So you leave them. You're not allowed to pick them up. Third type of things are such which are vulnerable. The sheep vulnerable. If you leave them, the wolf will eat them. If you leave a child, he may be kidnapped. He may be injured. He may end up in an accident. Something very harmful may happen. So such things, you know, take them. And take them doesn't mean keep them, but, you know, try to get them to the owner to the best of your ability. Like, for example, in this institute, many times there are, you know, Quran or their jewels or their books, stationery, shoes, anything. Jackets, right? They're just here, always here. And it becomes a burden on the institute. The things that are valuable, yes, they're supposed to keep them for a year. But then how many things are they supposed to keep? For how long? So we have to be careful in the first place. Be careful about your things. Don't be careless. Be careful about your things. Don't leave them around everywhere. And uh, on the part of the institute, when it comes to little things like mascaras and you know, small, small ether bottles, then such things are just going to be, you know, reused, given away or whatever. But when it comes to big things, then they will be kept for some time, but then eventually, you know, they will be used. So for example, the valuable things end up at the reception and the rest of the things, they get reused. It's not finders keepers, it's finders keepers for a year and then (laughs) users. If you want to get more details on this, check Islam QA. There are detailed Fatawa on this. Okay. Let's continue. Haddathana Muhammad ibn al-Ala'i Qala haddathana Abu Usamata An Buraydin An Abi Burdata An Abi Musa Qala he said Su'ila al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallama The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked An ashya'a About things Karihaha He disliked them. Meaning he was asked certain questions that he disliked. Falamma so when Uktira alayhi it was made abundant. Alayhi upon him. Meaning when too many questions, such questions were coming, غضبة, he became upset. للناس, and then he said to the people, Saluni Amma Shaitum. Ask me whatever you wish. He didn't say this to you know say that yeah, go ahead, ask whatever questions you want, but he was showing his anger. 
Like for example, if somebody is not listening to you, you're telling them, don't go there, and they don't listen to you, then what do you say eventually? Fine, go. Go. Similarly, the Prophet said, ask me whatever you wish. Qala rajulun, and a man, he said, he understood it literally, he said, man abi, who is my father? Qala, the Prophet said, abuka hudafa, your father is hudafa. Faqama akhar. So another man stood up. Faqala, he said, man abi, who is my father? These are people about whose father there was you know, difference, like people said that their father was so-and-so person, but others said that, no, this is not your father. Because remember that zina was very common. فَقَامَ آخَرُ فَقَالَ مَنْ أَبِي يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ فَقَالَ He said, أَبُوكَ سَالِمْ مَوْلَى شَيْبَ Your father is Salim, Mawla, the freed slave of Shayba. فَلَمَّا رَأَى عُمَر Then when Umar رضي الله عنه saw ما في وجهه What was in the face of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Meaning when he saw the anger قَالَ He said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah إِنَّا نَتُوبُ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ Indeed, we repent to Allah, the exalted, the mighty. So Umar رضي الله عنه He recognized, he saw And he apologized on behalf of everybody who was there. What do we see in this hadith? So the Prophet ﷺ became upset, he became angry when certain questions were being asked from him. When irrelevant questions are being asked or questions that can, whose answers can create fitna, then definitely a person is going to become angry. And he may show that anger to discourage people from asking such questions, to set a precedent that such questions are not welcome over here. Like for example, if a person asks in a gathering of knowledge where, for example, a scholar is teaching, and he says, what is your opinion concerning those who judge with the law that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not revealed? Hmm? The one who judges with the law that Allah has not revealed. What is your opinion concerning that? Obviously in the Qur'an, what do we learn? That those who judge according to Allah, other than that of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then such people are fasiqoon, kafirun. Now if, if the shaykh will give that answer, this person is going to see, the shaykh says such people are kafir. Call back home. Yeah, this government, kafir. Get them out. This is going to create a big fitna. And this has happened. This has happened. That many scholars, they have been asked such questions and their answers have been used to create a lot of fitna in this world. Many people have misused their answers. And so if such questions are ever asked, then a person may show anger. He may show that such questions are not welcome. They're not going to be answered. And similarly, if questions which are completely irrelevant, like a person is asking, who is my father? I mean, what has this got to do with your amal? So if such questions are being asked, then a person may also show anger over there. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ was angry. The questions were inappropriate. They could possibly create fitna. So in such situations, a person may show anger. But it doesn't mean that a person becomes angry on every little thing. Okay, There must be balance. Because if a person gets angry on every little thing, then people will run away. Okay, we learned earlier, إِنَّكُمْ munafirun. So a person must not chase other people away by showing anger all the time. And we see here that the Prophet ﷺ, he gave answers while he was angry. So it shows that a person may give answer, so he may give a fatwa even when he is upset. Because remember there are two types of ghadab. One type of ghadab is that which is very shadid, in which a person is overcome by his anger, he's not able to understand what is being said to him or what he is saying. So in such a situation a person must not speak. But if it's anger that is laysa bi shadid, that is not that severe, 
A person understands what he's saying, what is being said to him, then he may speak, he may answer in such a state. What do we see uh, with regards to the attitude of Umar radiallahu anhu? That how observant he was, hmm? how well he knew the Prophet sallallahu When he saw his face, he knew he was angry. He knew why he was angry even. You know, sometimes we see people, they appear to be upset, but we have no idea why they are upset. We're like, okay, so what? What can I do about it? No. Look at how careful, how sensitive, how observant he was. And at the same time, Umar anhu is also known to be very firm and very tough. What do we think? That if you're firm, have a very cold heart. Be insensitive to other people. No. He was firm, but at the same time, he was very sensitive. And especially towards the Prophet wasallam. And look at the way he expressed, you know, the apology that we repent to Allah Azza wa Jal. Why did he say we repent to Allah Azza wa Jal? Because he knew that if the Prophet ﷺ is upset, if the Prophet ﷺ is being hurt by the words of the people, then this is angering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is inviting the anger of Allah. Because Allah says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُؤْذُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ لَعَنَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ those people who hurt Allah and His Messenger. Allah has cursed such people in this dunya and in this world. So hurting the Prophet ﷺ is a sin. So this is why he said that we repent to Allah Azza And he could have told all the people, stop, why are you asking such questions? But when he said we repent to Allah Azza everybody got the message, stop it. Next hadith. Bab man baraka ala rukbatayhi inda al-imami aw al-muhaddithi. Man baraka, the one who kneeled. Remember the word birka? What does birka mean? The kneeling of the camel. From the word baraka. Baraka is what? Blessing. Abundance. So wherever the camel sat, people knew that there was going to be a lot of good over there. So this is why the word baraka is from that. Man baraka, the one who kneeled, ala rukbatayhi. Ala upon rukbatayhi. His two knees. Indal imam, in front of or before the imam, or al-muhaddis, the Hadith narrative. Is it permissible to do that or not? Why do you think Imam Bukhari is mentioning this? If a person kneels before the other, we're not talking about bending, like rukur. No, this is like sitting and like kneeling on your knees. What does it show? Respect and attention. That a person is paying a lot of attention as well. Why is this being mentioned in this book? Why do you think Imam Bukhari is proving this? There are etiquettes when it comes to seeking knowledge. Etiquettes must be observed. حدثنا أبو اليماني قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني أنس بن مالك أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خرج. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came out. فقام عبد الله بن حذافة. عبد الله بن حذافة. He stood up. فقال so he said من أبي who is my father. فقال so he said أبوك حذافة. Your father is حذافة. ثم أكثر أن يقول سلوني ثم then أكثر he repeated أن يقول that he said سلوني meaning the Prophet ﷺ he repeated that ask me ask me because the questions were coming in one after the other so he said ask me it's the same hadith as the previous one okay just a slightly different version فبرك عمر so عمر رضي الله عنه he kneeled على ركبتيه 
upon his knees faqala so he said radina billahi rabba radina we are happy billahi with allah rabba as our lord wa bil islami and with islam deenan as religion wa bi muhammadin and with muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallama nabiyan as prophet fasakata and then he became silent so we see over here that umar radhiyallahu anhu he said this statement in the previous hadith we learned that he said that we repent to allah And over here he said that we are happy with Allah as our Lord, Islam as our religion, and Muhammad ﷺ as our Prophet. Why do you think he said that? What's the relevance of the statement over here? When the Prophet ﷺ was upset, and he's saying, رَضِيْنَا بِاللَّهِ رَبَّا وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينَا وَبِمُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ نَبِيَّا What's the relevance? Yes. Too many questions may show that you have doubt. So Umar ﷺ was assuring the Prophet ﷺ in order to please him, that we have no doubt. We have no doubt. And this incident is the same. There are two different narrations. There are two different narratives. It's quite possible that he said both the statements. We repent to Allah and we are happy with Allah as our Lord. So it shows that he apologized and he also satisfied the Prophet ﷺ. He wasn't just apologizing, but he was making him happy as well. Sometimes we just say sorry and we don't care about the feelings, the emotions of the other or the damage you know, that we've caused them. No, we should be concerned about that as well. Make up for that. The intention of the people when they were asking the questions was not to hurt the Prophet ﷺ. It was just asking questions. And sometimes it happens that people, because of their lack of understanding or because of not being alert, you know, they end up asking questions that are irrelevant and they might upset the other. Like, for example, you tell somebody, can you please bring me my bag? And they're like, where is it? And you're like, wherever I put it every single day. Aren't you going to get irritated? I mean, there's one place where you put your bag. And your sister knows about that. And if she asks you, so where is it? Well, it's not under the table. It's not in the car. It's on the chair where I put it every single day. So when you're asked such questions, you get upset. But the other person is not necessarily asking that question to annoy you. They're just not paying that much attention. Isn't it? So sometimes such questions come out of not thinking you know correctly so the prophet sallallahu got upset and umar radhiyallahu anhu he apologized on behalf of everybody bab man a'ada al-hadith thalathan liyafham anhu chapter man who a'ada he repeated al-hadith the hadith thalathan three times al-hadith over here doesn't necessarily mean the hadith of the prophet sallallahu but speech Whoever repeated his speech three times, why? لِيُفْهَمَ anhu, So that it may be understood. When people are listening to you, it's quite possible that they miss out some detail that you said. Or they miss out something that you said. Why? Because their mind is elsewhere. They got distracted. Or it's quite possible they did not understand the first time you said it. Therefore, repetition is sometimes beneficial. Repetition is sometimes beneficial. And in order to make understanding easy for people, it is good to repeat. And we see this in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ as well. However, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was not to repeat himself all the time, but only when saying important things or things that were not easily understood by the people. Okay, we will conclude over here inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.